Hey everyone, just a quick little reminder that the St. Dymphna's Playbook book is available now wherever you get your books and ebooks. If you head on over to Ave Maria Press's website and use the code BEWELL, all one word, you can get 25% off. Thanks so much. Fulton Sheen once said, Anxiety, the illness of our time, comes primarily from our inability to dwell in the present moment. Welcome to the 119th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, and one in heaven. I love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want all of us to remember that there's always hope for relief from our anxiety through mindfulness and coping skills to help address our symptoms and through medication when needed and when working closely with a helping professional. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. As we continue to make our way through this pandemic and everything else going on in the world around us, we have to pay attention to the mental health of every single person, taking time to focus especially on children and adolescents, and perhaps even more especially on teenage girls who are suffering their own epidemic related to mental health right now and who need our help and our support. We'll start with NewStatesman.com for some context. The mental health-focused company Steer Education and the social enterprise Minds Ahead found that girls were more than twice as likely as boys to suffer mental health problems by the time they were 18. 80% of girls were hiding their distress compared with 60% before the pandemic, the study said. The NHS found last year that one in six children in England age 5 to 16 identified as having a probable mental health disorder in 2020, up from one in nine in 2017. In a study of 40,000 teenagers conducted by Manchester University published this week, 22% of girls reported emotional difficulties compared with 7% of boys. Social media and a lack of sleep were reported as possible contributing factors. While we should be wary of generalizing about the differences between the sexes, girls do face some specific psychological challenges. The ubiquity of mobile technology and social media has a different impact on them, for example. While both sexes have ready access to social media, girls tend to be more objective objectified by it. A related challenge that particularly affects girls is unhealthy perfectionism identified in the Steer Education Report. Part of this perfectionism is a concern with looks exacerbated by social media. Girls can compare and despair when faced with influencers sharing their perfect bodies with millions of followers. How then can we support girls facing these challenges? It's a shared responsibility. Problems to do with objectifying young women shouldn't be dealt with by teaching girls how to cope. That reinforces the idea that it's the girls who have to put up with unacceptable male behavior, and it's the girls who have to change. Schools need more staff who are trained in supporting students' mental health, given the existing burdens on teachers. Schools need to teach pupils about mental health and promote that it's okay to talk. 
Children who are finding life hard should speak to a trusted adult. Meanwhile, parents need to be supportive and good listeners. Use open rather than yes or no questions and acknowledge their children's feelings. Back to me. We absolutely cannot miss this opportunity to address these needs head on and create systems and support in places where our kids are in order to get them connected to the care they need. We have to pray, we have to be vocal, and we have to be the voice of our children to the powers that be to ensure access to care while also being that voice of support with our children to know more about how they're feeling and help them understand that we're willing to walk with them no matter what. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today I'm going to introduce you to St. Nicholas Owen. Born in 1562 in Oxford, England, Nicholas grew up a devout Catholic During a time of the penal laws, quite a difficult circumstances, two of his older brothers became priests and he became an apprentice under his carpenter father, learning skills that helped him to build hiding places later in life. He was arrested in 1581 by the so-called priest hunters and upon his release, he entered the Jesuits around 1588. According to Wikipedia, for the next 18 years, Owen built hiding places for Catholic priests in the homes of Catholic families. He frequently traveled from one house to another under the name Little John and accepted only the necessities of life as payment before he started off on a new project. He also used the aliases Little Michael, Andrews, and Draper. During the daytime, he would work as a traveling carpenter to deflect suspicion. Back to me, physically, he was quite short. He suffered from a hernia and had lost most of the use of one leg after a horse accident, and yet he continued to go on building hiding places for Catholics of the area, often building an easily discoverable hiding place so the authorities wouldn't keep searching for a different more concealed hiding place. He was finally caught in 1606, sent to the Tower of London, was tortured and eventually murdered. Nicholas lived an incredibly difficult life, imprisoned, suffering from physical difficulties, and then put to death. He's now ready to pray for all who are suffering. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer, Almighty Eternal God, you chose from the people of England and Wales, St. Nicholas and his companions to be made like Christ who died to save the world. Listen to their prayers, strengthen your church by the same faith and love that strengthened them, and bless it always with the gift of unity. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter Therapy. Anonymous gets us started. I want to know if you've ever spoken about Tourette's syndrome and tics. Next Monday, I have a medical visit for my nine-year-old daughter to see if she has Tourette's. Let's start by joining in prayer for Anonymous, for her daughter, and for everyone experiencing tics, that they may find peace, healing, and access to quality care. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. 
We always want to start with definitions around here, and we'll go with the CDC. Ticks are sudden twitches, movements, or sounds that people do repeatedly. People who have ticks cannot stop their body from doing these things. For example, a person with a motor tick might keep blinking over and over again, or a person with a vocal tick might make a grunting sound unwillingly. These tick disorders are included in the DSM-5, the book of uh, diagnoses for mental health conditions. Tourette's disorder, also called Tourette's syndrome, or TS. Persistent, also called called chronic motor or vocal tick disorder and provisional tick disorder. Since you mentioned Tourette's, we'll stay with the CDC for a definition of that specific experience. To be diagnosed with TS, a person must have two or more motor motor ticks, for example, blinking or shrugging the shoulders, and at least one vocal tick, for example, humming, clearing the throat, or yelling out a word or phrase, although they might not always happen at the same time. And have had ticks for at least one year. The ticks can occur many times a day, usually in bouts, nearly every day or off and on. And have ticks that began before the age of 18 and have symptoms that are not due to taking medicine or other drugs or due to having another medical condition, for example, seizures, Huntington disease, or post-viral encephalitis. Back to me. This can be a very difficult experience for children and families to cope with, but help is out there and getting assessed and diagnosed is the first step. So it's beautiful to see the way that you're supporting your daughter in this way. We'll look to Mayo Clinic for thoughts on treatment. There's no cure for Tourette's syndrome. Treatment is aimed at controlling ticks that interfere with everyday activities and functioning. When ticks aren't severe, treatment might not be necessary. Medications may include meds that block or lessen dopamine, ADHD medication, antidepressants, and others, while therapy treatment may include cognitive behavioral therapy for habit habit reversal training. I also want to mention that Tourette's Association of America is a wonderful resource to get support, find community, and get ideas on how best to move through this experience. Please be assured of our prayers. A different anonymous is up next. Could you talk a little bit about embracing memento mori while also feeling suicidal? Let's start by praying for anonymous and anyone else experiencing suicidal ideation for relief from those thoughts, help from a supportive individual or community, and hope to flood into their hearts this very moment. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I'm so glad you sent this question in because I think there are a lot of people who have this same thought on their minds. Just in case there are some folks who don't know, um, we'll start with a definition from Sister Teresa herself. Memento mori or remember your death is the Latin phrase long associated with the practice of remembering the unpredictable and inevitable end of one's life. This phrase and the symbols and sayings associated with it were particularly popular in the medieval church back to me. This practice has seen a bit of a revival, especially among very online Catholics, thanks mostly to the good sister herself. And while it's a very worthwhile spiritual practice, I want to point out a very important Catholic thing here that may help us. Our Catholic faith contains a vast multitude of spiritual practices, some essential, like the Mass, confession, etc., some very helpful but not required, like praying the rosary, going to adoration, or memento mori. If we find the idea of meditating on our death to be a trigger for our mental health, either in terms of our anxiety, our existential OCD, or our experience with suicidal ideation, we may have to be honest with ourselves and recognize that memento mori isn't for us in this particular moment in time, 
and that's okay. While many people have been talking about it and many people have found the practice helpful in their own spiritual journeys, we have to be okay with looking at something and saying, hmm, that's cool for them, but it's not for me. And perhaps not for me only in this moment. Maybe somewhere down the line, it'll be something that we can safely incorporate into our spiritual lives. And if that time comes, great. But for now, we can look to other practices that better line up with our personalities, our experience, and our current mental health. And we can go with those, and it's all good. Also, since you mentioned suicidal ideation, I just want to remind everyone listening that you can always text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 to get connected to a crisis counselor immediately if you're having suicidal thoughts. Help is available whenever you need it. Emily wraps us up. I would like to hear more about navigating toxic family who verbally, emotionally, and spiritually abuse you. Long story short, it sounds like we might be moving dangerously close to my parents, and though I'm excited for the job opportunities, I am very much dreading the move closer to them. There is a big thing that I'm working on in therapy. This is a big thing that I'm working on in therapy, but any extra insight would be awesome. Well, let's start by praying for Emily, all of us, and and everyone who has to navigate toxic relationships for safety, healing, and healthy relationships moving forward. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother, to thee do I come. Before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. First off, I want to say how awesome it is that you're connected to a therapist and working through this. It's so hard when something exciting like a move and better job opportunities has to be mixed in with so much stress and anxiety around unhealthy relationships. And you should never have to face this kind of abuse that you mentioned. You don't deserve it. You deserve peace, love, and respect. There are many difficult types of toxic family members and dealing with the situation can vary, but let's take a look at some thoughts from fatherly.com to get us started. In-laws who are toxic tend to take any situation as an excuse to react negatively, make a scene, or put you on the defensive. Toxic in-laws react negatively to almost anything. They blow little things out of proportion, view any comment as a reason to blame or shame you or become angry or verbally abusive. When dealing with this kind of negativity, don't allow yourself to get sucked into their drama. Remain calm and remove yourself from your family, from the situation. Do your best to limit contact with them. Just because they're your in-laws or your family does not mean they have to be right there in your life all the time. Family members who are toxic have no sense of what, what's appropriate when it comes to boundaries or knowing their place. They show up unannounced, stay longer than you want, and constantly tell you what to do. Along with your partner, set firm boundaries up front. Even if they push back, you have to realize that it's up to you to maintain that boundary. For example, if you ask them not to call after 9 p.m. and they call, do not answer the phone. If they get mad, you remind them that your family does not take calls after 9 p.m. The hardest part of setting and upholding boundaries is sitting with the discomfort discomfort when the other person gets mad. Back to me. Sometimes we can feel that, you know, there's a Christian call to be respectful and loving toward our families no matter what. And while it's true that we are called to be loving, forgiving, and respectful of our families, we are not called to do so at the expense of our safety or our mental health 
or the safety and mental health of our own family that we need to take care of. And at some point, being respectful toward our larger family may mean separating ourselves, even if we live nearby, so that they don't have the opportunity to harm us verbally, emotionally, or spiritually, because that's bad for them as well as it's bad for us. Helpful boundaries might include when and how often we have interactions. How are we to speak to each other during these interactions? Topics that we don't discuss in front of our children and how to interact if we happen to bump into each other out in public around town. All of these are okay boundaries to set in order to maintain safety and hopefully your partner can work together with you to try and set whatever boundaries might be most beneficial for your own mental and emotional well-being. I'm hopeful that your connection to a therapist will continue to help you navigate the situation, and I hope that you and your spouse can continue to have serious discussions around how to keep everyone safe with this impending move, and we will absolutely be praying for you. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you like. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash Grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. And until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.